In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, part of the Her Insight Network on Toginet. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNenny. Unless the Lord builds the house, their labor is in vain who build it. Unless the Lord watches over the city, in vain the watchman keeps his vigil. Who better than the Lord to build your house? Good afternoon. My name's Vivian McNenny, and I'm the sociable homeschooler. And this week, I'm not going to grumble about the weather because we had a most unusual weekend. It snowed all day Thursday, and the official measurement was between 7 to 12 inches. Absolutely unheard of in this part of Texas, and totally glorious. The old gnarly trees that looked as if they need serious pruning looked majestic, clothed in a transforming blanket of snow. Everywhere was quiet and clean and sparkly. Schools were open because the roads were wet but not icy, but by the evening the snowflakes were still as large as silver dollars and my children were home out in it making snowmen. When they came in with digital photos and videos of their escapades, they were rosy-cheeked and ready for hot chocolate. It felt like my childhood. I joined them for the beverage, having begged off the snow activity after walking with them to scout out good places to sculpt, and I took them buttons and scarves to clothe their creations in. Later on Thursday evening, we found out that schools and colleges the next day were going to be closed. And so we had a surprise and welcome additional Saturday on Friday. We all got up late, snuggled around the kitchen table for one of my husband's Sunday breakfasts and generally enjoyed our unexpected holiday and collectively preferred to each new day as the weekend. Then we toyed with the um, idea of taking our Christmas photo in the snow, but thought better of it. I'm glad I'm not such an overachiever. Once all the snow had gone, I swear it was colder than when we had winter coverage. By Thursday, though, it was up in the 50s and sunny. Extreme Texas weather, gotta love it. My oldest daughter promised to call me last week, but everything ground to a standstill. So I was going to pick her brains about the children in her school. Sadly, though, she's working this afternoon, so I promised to talk about her a bit anyway. At least I'll get no interruptions, but I do have to mind my P's and Q's because she listens to me later on my podcast. So I'm going to tell you the story of how she got her name. I was working for a friend in a hire car company in Victoria Station, London, kind of between jobs because being a hire car receptionist is not the kind of job an educated young lady admits to. But I needed something to do being a debutante without a potential husband in the wings. Is quite tiresome. My parents were abroad, remember, having their little soirees. Americans forever were our customers, morning, noon and night. The little lobby of the company was constantly packed and we had to sneak out the back way if we wanted to go on a break or our lunch because if we dared to leave the lobby without giving the Americans their car, they were give, we were given evil looks. 
they've been waiting long hours for their pre-booked vehicles to arrive from other parts of England by transport carrier. Don't ask me, I only work there. The system was irritating. We never had enough of the right kinds of cars. Automatic, with car seats and roof racks, preferably that drove on the right side of the road, not the mystifying left side. I just wanted to tell everyone, get yourselves a taxi or a tube pass and save yourselves a lot of grief. But they wanted to put theirs and everyone else's lives in danger, so we helped them, slowly, for 12-hour shifts at a time. And at the end of the fourth day of my 12-hour shifts, I and the other four people who worked with me were at the, also at the end of our proverbial tethers and ready for our four days off. We were sick of demanding tourists and American accents and the service they expected. Nothing less than perfect. They had this weird expectation that the customer is always right. Irate tourists in a small lobby are not pleasant company. Unbeknownst to me, my future husband walked in that afternoon and I was on automatic. Under normal circumstances, believe me, I was constantly on the alert for Mr. Wright. But my senses were dulled, and I have to admit, I wasn't really expecting a foreigner to fill the role of PC as Prince Chong. His name, John Osborne, caught my attention only because I'd been reading Osborne's plays at college, Look Back in Anger and Death of a Salesman, cheerful, uplifting pieces for the lonesome socialite. I looked up and there he was, blue eyes and all, sporting an untucked-in Hawaiian shirt and dazzling smile. No comment on the bright shirt, though. My uniform was a neon shade of orange, safe to wear in the dark streets of London when walking home alone at night. As I signed him up, I noticed that his occupation was artiste, and he was going to be keeping the car for three months. I was dismayed, but not surprised when I found out that we didn't have the car he'd booked. Because it was close to closing and we didn't have a transport carrier scheduled to drop off some more vehicles until the following morning, I went to my boss. Had she noticed I was in a bit of a pickle? Could she help me out? I wanted to go home. She scribbled a car registration down on a piece of paper and told me to call a driver to bring it in. I was horrified when I saw a Series 7 black BMW draw up. What? I said to my boss. It was supposed to be a Ford, any Ford. They're keeping it for three months, I said. That's 12 weeks. That's all we had, she said. Lucky man, I thought, and reluctantly handed the keys of the ultimate driving machine over. End of day, end of shift, end of story, or so I thought. Little did I know that love at first sight had occurred without my knowledge or permission. Within two weeks, he was back, ostensibly to wash the car, and was asking around to see if I was single. I was, but was I available? He called me from a phone booth around the corner and invited me out for dinner. I was intrigued just a little by Mr. Osborne, so I said, yes. John picked me up from my brother's flat in a taxi. He didn't drive in London, he admitted. The UDM was for his boss, who had a driver on staff. He then further admitted to me that he was not Mr. Osborne, first name John, also known as Ozzy and that his name, which I actually never asked for, presuming he was the owner of the name on the original order, was Larry. I burst out laughing. I mean, who calls their son Larry? It's England's equivalent of Billy Bob or Bubba. Well, once we had the name straightened out and I'd stopped giggling, we had a superb meal and went on to a classy nightclub. On my doorstep the next morning was a complete florist shop of flowers. 
and for our second date also made over the phone. He made the mistake to ask me to name somewhere I'd never been, and I said, I've never been to Paris, and that's where we went for the day. He fell even more in love, and the total southern gentleman emerged and was irresistible. And it wasn't long after that that we tied the knot and lived happily ever after. And that's how my first daughter got her name. She dodged a massive needle that was thrust at her through my abdomen during a procedure my doctor had prescribed. One doesn't argue with doctors, and so I decided to ruin my surprise and find out the sex of my third-born while they were at it with the needle. Thus, I could be prepared mentally just in case it was another male rugrat. The results of the amnio gave me more information than I could possibly use on a birth announcement and armed me for suitable responses to the wisecracks my parents made about my choice of name for my first daughter. The usual and oft heard, what should we tell the neighbours? And our granddaughter is named after a Greek hero. To all the children she teaches and loves, she is their own, very own special Greek hero. Can you guess her name? Bavaria for the motorworks that make beamers. No, but a good guess. No, Paris, it's because of you we homeschooled and never looked back. Yay! And at the top of my show, I mentioned that my daughter listens to me on podcast. This habit was born of necessity and is one I highly recommend to all of you out there who love to read to your children. But have your moments. As a mother of four, I'm stalwart and I love to read. But even the most passionate of word lovers eventually breaks down when asked again for possibly the 10th or maybe the 20th time that day, to read the current favourite book of the week. I have to admit I misplaced books. Undaunted, my toddlers, all four of them, would scramble under the bed, pull out all the toys they'd put away that day, push aside a couple of bedrolls and reappear bottoms first, triumphantly bearing the offending tome. Well, it really wasn't a tome, I'm exaggerating, but it was offending, and its 30-page weight rested heavily on my lap as a tome would. Gracelessly, I'd adjust it in my lap, mentally resolving to burn it later, and my children gleefully would helpfully open it for me and lie expectantly in front of me. I had to read it as if it was my first time through, and they listened as if it was their first time to hear it. And I know many of you feel the same way I did, exhausted by that tireless cat running amok through the house with Sally and me, who have irresponsibly been left home alone again. Thoroughly irritated by Amelia Bedelia's elemental interpretation of Mr. and Mrs. Rogers' instructions and bored by the little bird asking, Are you my mother? Who cares, I'm telling you. I teetered on the brink of neglect. I became children's literature's heretic. The Grinch could steal Christmas, Nemo could stay lost and leave that boy who doesn't want to get up today in bed without books, the brat. Mothers, and some of you fathers too, You know exactly what I'm talking about. How many times can you suppress an inner groan when your child hands you his battered, dog-eared book at bedtime, whose words should have disappeared in the clouds of venom expended on the reading years ago? What do you do when you don't want to read Marvin K. Mooney, Will You Please Go Now? Or Big Bird, Don't Cry Again. Well, here's what I did. I'd set them on a top shelf in my bookcase until that day came when I could bring myself to face them again, I'm guessing sometime in my 80s. Some of them have found their way into the attic to obligingly disappear for years, but these are only temporary measures. For there is that hallowed institution, the public library. My young ones were experienced. I taught them their library skills well. 
They headed for the early readers section to rediscover their best friends that were mysteriously missing at home, but tucked enticingly among other books and within an easy reach. They'd obediently suppressed their shouts of joy. They know they're to be quiet in this place and stagger towards me with grins on their faces and piles of books clutched to their chests, as if they were in danger of escaping, which, if I had my way, they would, and whisper, Look what I found, Mummy. And my inner groan escaped as an admonition to keep your voices down. I'd look and notice whole series of Amelia Bedelia's and Sesame Streets and consider depositing half the titles on the reshelving trolley. And I've got to go on a little break now, so I'll be back to finish off my story. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Girlfriended is on Togginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts, Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out girlfriended.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have mm-hmm. somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. What's your story? Are you living it? Well, you could be. It's What's Your Story with Hillary Bilbrey. Friday mornings at 10 Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Her passion is helping others discover, create, and live their personal brands. Yep, you heard me. You have a brand. No different than Coke, Pepsi, or Nike. You are a walking, talking, living, breathing brand. You're not a logo. You're not a tagline. The choices you make become the path you take. This is your brand. Now, live your story. Your brand is not just what you say it is. It's also what others say it is. So what are you communicating? And how can you create an authentic brand? We'll take on these challenges with What's Your Story? Every week, Hillary will feature teens, moms, and organizations that are learning and living their story. Now, her passion is to help others discover, create, and live their personal brands. To find out more, go to inspiredbyfamily.com. It's What's Your Story with Hillary Bilbrey. Friday mornings at 10 Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet, part of the Her Insight Network. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Okay, I'm there. So my budding literati 
um, were being herded towards some new authors whose words hadn't been flogged to death yet. Did you know it's possible to fall asleep while reading out loud and not be caught? Oh, my secret's out. Mr. Seuss and I can read with our eyes shut tight. Anyway, I bravely endured this burden of repetition in an effort to pass on my love of reading to my children, and I clenched my teeth through whole sections of plotless infant and toddler literature for more than three years. That's a thousand and ninety-five bedtimes. It wasn't until I was preparing to go on a business retreat that I decided that something had to be left behind for my children to remember my voice by. So I had a light bulb above my head moment. I would record on cassette tape some of their all-time favorite books to play on their shared tape recorder. Pouncing on this brilliant idea, I collected a few of their well-read books, my Walkman recorder and a blank cassette tape, and settled down to read aloud into the microphone. This was about as self-conscious as broadcasting on a radio show, but I have to admit that after the first couple of books, I became more relaxed, and in addition to the text, I added familiar modifications and personal edits that only we knew about. I included instructions to turn the tape over after side one and to sleep well at the end of side two. I blew kisses, told them I loved them, cooed and sang. The cassette lasted for an hour, and the very first bedtime story tape was born. Doop, doop, doop. My sanity was salvaged. By the time my second son was a year old, I'd already made his older brother a tape for his third birthday, and together we compiled baby brother's first birthday tape. Thus began a tradition that lasted for 23 years. The 60-minute cassettes were just long enough to accommodate most of their current favorites without overtaxing my vocal cords. Since I knew that I only had to read the book once, I became ambitious in my performances and added voices, giggles and word plays. For example, I read a spell from Silly Tilly Witch backwards and chanted another book from beginning to end. It was short. And I made up tunes to poetry, verses and experimented with accents. All of my mistakes, though, were forever woven into the fabric of the story. And the beauty of these recordings lay in their consistency. A tune would never be forgotten or a nuance missed. The stories could be listened to over and over again with a predictability my young family thrived on. But the only snag in this technique showed up when I was asked to read one of the books live. They corrected me without mercy on the right way to read it. They were the experts after all. And so our collection of birthday tapes has grown and our audio library ensures that I never have to read another book again that I find tiresome and which they love passionately. Guest appearances have been made on these oral treasures over the year. Dad, of course. Grandparents and other relatives from England and East Texas. Friends, siblings, animals. Even the dog faithfully howled every time I sang happy birthday. Probably in pain. The duration of the tapes increased to 90 minutes because of the change in book length. The format changed with the time. CDs for a short while. Then technology had a growth spurt. And last year when my oldest daughter turned 18... She downloaded my latest effort onto her iPod and left to work on a hospital ship in West Africa. As a footnote to this simple and inexpensive solution to reading the same books over and over again, these recorded efforts have become an accidental oral history of our growing family. My recorded observations jog our memories as to what was going on in their lives at each milestone. We hear their young voices in the background and enjoy listening to faraway family members. 
The masters have been copied and stored for safekeeping to be added to and enjoyed by future generations. My next summertime project will be the laborious but delightful task of downloading the tapes onto my computer. This, I'm told, is called capturing and can be achieved quite easily with the knowledge of where to plug in the leads and cords and a helpful sun or two. Once captured and cuffed, it can be, with a single keystroke, I'm told, burned onto a CD. From there, its duplication is restricted only by the electronic and digital devices available on the market. iPods, shuffles, trips, touches, nanos, minis, name your medium, and voila, my voice across the years. Ah, technology. What a wonderful, what a wonder, especially for the historian in me. And I see that I have Gretchen from Calvert is on the phone. Can you hear me, Gretchen? I can, Vivian. Hi, how are you this evening? I'm very well. How are you? I guess in Texas it's not considered evening yet, correct? Well, it's getting that way. About six o'clock it'll be evening, I suppose. We're kind of getting a little bit dusky here. So, Well, so, it's a uh, pleasure to make your acquaintance uh, via the radio wave. Yes, and pleasure to, for you too. And um, thank you for taking time. You seem really busy. I went to your blog today and I, I had a look at some of your entries and some of the things that you're doing and... Uh, very, very busy woman. <laughs> so well, there I'm is never ask... a dull moment. That is truly, uh, that is a truism at our household, for sure. Yeah. yeah well, I'm talking uh, to Gretchen Rowe, and um, she is a homeschooling mother of six. And um, I'm going to ask you, Gretchen, why did you decide to homeschool? <laughs> um, uh, those who know me well have heard this story more than once. But truthfully, um, uh, I am quite convinced that God has this little book, and when you say never, he makes a little mark next to your name, and whatever you have said never about, then it comes to pass. Um, My husband and I became a homeschool family overnight in the middle of an academic year 16 years ago this March because the public school third grade told my eldest child that there was no need for her to memorize her multiplication tables. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And that was sort of the last straw in a series of rather interesting encounters that we had had with the administration throughout the year. And we decided we certainly could not do any worse than the administration was doing, so we intended to homeschool her through the end of that academic year um, to make sure that uh, she had a good foundation in mathematics. And that was 16 years ago, and I'm still waiting for the end of that time. I have a four-year-old, so I guess I'm going to be at this quite a while longer. Oh, you are. You are. So um, what did you find difficult teaching more than one child at a time? What was the hardest part of that? Um, Probably the fact that even though mothers have eyes in the back of their head, uh, kids are still rather innovative and can get away with things. What I still find that continues to amaze me is they think I am um, not savvy as insofar as some of the things that w- they can and will do. Um, this year I have a senior in high school, a sophomore in high school, a 10-year-old and a toddler. And so um, it's a wide range. Obviously it's not something that I can do sitting around the table, all of us learning together. So mm-hmm. it uh, requires a little bit more um, Uh, administrative time than I have presented in the past and a little bit more skill as far as um, parsing out ahead of time who should be doing what. Um, But 
probably the single most difficult thing is wanting to be in two places at once and do two things at once. Oh, yes, I can relate to that. I had uh, four. I mean, they, each one of them was just two years apart. So, I mean, I could do some of the reading and things together, but um, everything else I did separately. And my day was long. Their day wasn't particularly long because get, they'd get finished. As soon as I was finished with them, they were finished. But, you know, I would have to move then on to the next child's math that they were struggling with or their science that they needed help with or something like that. So my day just went on and on. (laughs) Exactly. Well, you know, I have long maintained that if homeschool moms were given the task of writing the federal budget or um, orchestrating um, uh, a large project, we'd have it done very in a very brief spate of time simply because we don't have time to mess around. We, (laughs) We get from A to B very quickly, so... And so um, I, I noticed in one of your blogs that you said your 10-year-old had said that he wanted to go back to public school. Did he go back to public yes, school? Yes, actually he is. For the first time in 16 years, I'm having to conform to uh, the likes of a public school district. And uh, that is very, very fascinating. And it's a very different world than it was 16 years ago. Um, I have to say that I am really quite fascinated by the amount of time taken up with checking the checkers, if you Mm -hmm. will, Um, the amount of administrative time to to make sure that the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed and the information is conveyed. Um, No one would ever accuse the school district here of... um, paper conservation. There's more paper that comes home and goes back to school and more phone calls and, and things that occur just because I think the, the school administration works so hard to keep the parents informed. Um, it, it's, it's just really quite fascinating. Of course, we're just um, this week coming off 11 days of not having any school because we've been up to our ears in snow. So. Okay. Um, so lots of catch up. So how many school how how many snow days do you have built into the <laughs> We have four built into the schedule and so far we've had eleven. Right. Um, oh my which goodness. Is really quite amazing. I have to say that about the end of last week, Duncan, my ten year old, said to me, What are we going to do? When are we ever going back to school? And I just started laughing at him. I said, Honey, you forget we weren't dependent on a school system for sixteen years. Yeah. I'm certainly capable of handling the rest of your academic year. (laughs) So um, has he adjusted? Does he enjoy his public school? He has had a wonderful time. This has been Mm -hmm. a great year for him. I have to say in all honesty that um, the first grading period was relatively easy because most of the material that was presented to him was a reiteration of what he had experienced through the Calvert curriculum last year. Um, so we really didn't start wading into new territory uh, until the beginning of the second marking period. He just received his grades for that, the conclusion of the second marking period. Actually, they came home this week. And he is pleased with his grades. He is a very social young man, very affable, and I know that he enjoys that social component. It's not as though he did not have that before, but... Um, I know that he he really enjoys being in in the environment for that at this point in time. Okay, Gretchen, um, I'm going to have to go on a break now, but um, I'll be back to carry on. 
How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNitty, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Join Learning and Laughter with Louise every Wednesday at 9 Eastern, 8 a.m. Central on Toginet to discuss fun, fascinating, and educational topics. Each week, Louise will be talking with a variety of guests, ranging from authors, educators, parents, filmmakers, athletes, and entrepreneurs, just to name a few. You know, when it comes to learning, the sky is the limit. And so will the topics that are covered here on Learning and Laughter with Louise. Louise Sattler is a school psychologist who has worked within the fields of special education and bilingual education. She also owns a successful company, Signing Families that creates DVDs and special workshops to teach sign language and instructional products for people of all ages and needs. With new DVDs coming out soon, check her website for more information at signingfamilies.com. From time to time, Louise will be joined by her daughter, Natasha Sattler, who will give a college-age perspective to the show. So pour that morning cup of coffee and join us here on Toginet every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Central. You never know who will show up for Learning and Laughter with Louise on toginet.com. Let's chat it up with Bloom Talk with Barb Scala on Toginet. Thursday afternoons at 3 Eastern, 2 Central. And find out how women are growing, blossoming, and blooming in their friendships and careers, health, and so much more. It's Bloom Talk with Barb Scala. Check out our website, bloomwithbarb.com. Whether you want to transplant your life or just do a little pruning, Bloom Talk will inspire you to cultivate the lifestyle you want to live. Join lifestyle coach and co-author of Sanity Savers, Barb Scala, each week on Bloom Talk and sprout your dreams. Grow your life. I hear a lot from women. I want meaning in my life. I want a fulfilling life. I want to do something that's exciting. And I can control my life instead of my life controlling me. I can tell the world this is who I am and, and this is what I'm all about. Barb will introduce you to dynamic guests and real women who are redesigning, re- building and reinventing their own lives and bloomstorm how you can dream create and grow the lifestyle you want to live it's bloom talk with barb scala thursday afternoons at three eastern two central on toginet.com welcome back to the sociable homeschooler with vivian mcninney the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's the Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet, part of the Her Insight Network. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Well, Gretchen, we're back. So um, I'm going to ask you, how did you choose Calvert? Um, I came to Calvert School because I really had tied my knot at the end of my rope at the end of my second academic year and really did not think that I could continue to homeschool. Um, I told you in in the beginning of our conversation that I I really didn't have plans to teach beyond my daughter's third grade year. Mm -hmm. And at the conclusion of that year, my son's kindergarten teacher recommended that I entertain the thought of homeschooling him because he was a rather precocious reader, Mm -hmm. and she felt that a public school environment might be a little bit boring for him and therefore lead to a few challenges of being distractible. Mm-hmm. Um, so the second year I used a curriculum and and pretty much built my own curriculum but found that I was rather an ardent curriculum junkie and when I got bored mm-hmm. with something that I was doing I would go find something else that either I interpreted as more fun or easier or less time-consuming. And by the time we reached the end of um, our second year, I had spent a lot of money. I had spent at least twice as much time outside the classroom as in the classroom, and I was pretty well done with teaching. Mm -hmm. And at that point in time, it was when a a mutual friend suggested that I take a look at the Calvert curriculum 
because of its completeness and its preparedness. And uh, that was almost 13 years ago. I will tell you that I used the Calvert curriculum for two years and then left Calvert and went to another curricula that billed itself as being just like Calvert um, but less costly. And I found that it did cost me a great deal because it was not just like Calvert. There is nothing that I have found that is just like Calvert. Mm-hmm. You're right. Um, I, I've spoken to um, three or four other mothers over the weeks, and funnily enough, they all used Calvert, but they were in different parts of the world. So um, Calvert um, supplies curriculum all over the world. Is that right? Yes, I have to say that I have the best of all possible worlds. Even though I'm still a full-time homeschool mom, I function as Calvert's community liaison, so I work part-time for them. And what I do is I run their live chat platform. So this week I have talked to families in Brazil and Singapore, and um, today I talked to a woman in Pago Pago who was on a boat and Mm. using a satellite phone to to communicate with me. And... um, Calvert has students in all 50 states and over 80 foreign countries. It's, uh, it really is very fascinating how far their reach is. Uh, Calvert's the oldest purveyor of homeschool curriculum. They've been providing curriculum for about 106 years. So they pretty well have a handle on how to do it well. Oh, yes. Yeah, I used Calvert when I first started homeschooling. I, I went, oh, my gosh, how am I going to do this? And I thought, I'm going to have to go with something that's really, you know, organized, that, you know, because I had no idea what I was going to do. And it was just wonderful. And it gave me the confidence after a couple of years to, you know, pull in some of my own stuff and use, use Calvert as a, um, you know, it, it kept me kind of grounded, but I was able to pull in other things. And eventually, I think I stopped u- using Calvert for a couple of my children. But then my younger said, Mom, I want to be more organized. I want to feel as though I'm more at school. I want to go. I want to try Calvert. So I did Calvert with her for several years. And, um, you know, so Calvert has been part of our lives for um, all of my homeschooling, my 15 years of homeschooling as well. Well, my eldest son, my favorite Calvert story for my own personal family is my eldest son who that year that I left Calvert and went to another curricula, um, he just fought me all year long. did not like the curriculum we were using. And finally, in April of that year, he said, I want to go back to the Calvert curriculum. And I, my comment to him was, look, I paid money for the curriculum you have. You need to finish this year. And he said, I don't want to. I want to do sixth grade over, and I want to do it in the Calvert curriculum. And my husband and I said, well, there's a life lesson to be learned here. If you want to do that, you're going to have to pay for it yourself. Mm-hmm. And he did. He worked all summer uh, mowing lawns and doing odd jobs around the neighborhood, and he also had a newspaper route, and he literally paid for his sixth-grade curriculum out of his own pocket and um, ended up doing sixth grade twice, um, Mm -hmm. but still graduated high school at the age of 17. Right, right, great. So um, the the thing that about Calvert is it's it's wonderful teaching manual and you know the kids as they get older can really you know sort of self-start they can just open it up and they can get started on their day and you know the instructions are just so explicit and um you know it's just such a wonderful wonderful curriculum um what what do you um 
you know, do you, I know you agree with that, obviously. But, uh, <laughs> well, I have um, to say one of the things you, that I really appreciate about the Calvert curriculum is the fact that they very subtly but very clearly managed to teach this skill of executive function for um, a growing student. You know, the manuals are written to us as the parent up through third grade, and in fourth grade that, that manual begins to morph a little bit, and it's written both to parent and to student. Mm-hmm. By the time you reach fifth grade and you're at that middle school age, that manual is written to the student, and, and I as the parent have the opportunity to then move into the role of administrator and help them find the answer to their questions rather be, than being the source of the answer to their questions, which... Having been through middle schoolers yourself, you know, sometimes you're no longer the prophet in your own land when your uh, children become middle schoolers anyway. (laughs) So it's nice for them to be able to find their own way. Um, Can you talk a little bit about the advisory teachers? Um, I have to say, yes, I would love to talk about the advisory teachers because um, they are probably one of the best things about a Calvert education, and that's my personal opinion, but a lot of other people say that as well. There's there's two kinds, of course. There's our education counselors, which are certified teachers who are on the Calvert staff who are available to anyone who purchases a Calvert curriculum to answer questions either about the academics or about child development or time management, anything that has to do with the homeschooling process. And I have found my relationship with them over the years to just be invaluable because um, what I like to say is I love the fact that I'm homeschooling for myself but not by myself, mm-hmm. um, and, and they are just tremendous. Uh, then the second thing that Calvert offers is the advisory teaching service where you have a dedicated teacher that's assigned to you through an academic year, and they interact with your child every 20 lessons throughout the academic year and develop, really develop a relationship with them to help them um, meet your educational goals and their goals and, and sort of they become a, another source of wisdom. I have laughed over the years the number of times I have said something and my children just have acted as though I, uh, that just makes absolutely no sense only to have them receive the exact same advice back from advisory teacher in a letter, and they just think it's the pearl of wisdom. Yeah. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. I think the advisory teaching service is a wonderful, wonderful opportunity um, to to be able to know that I'm really on task um, and, and meeting my, my children's goals. And I feel like, in retrospect, now having three kids in college, actually one college graduate, that was probably the integral part to help us move seamlessly into high school and um, uh, be successful in high school was the opportunity for them to know that they had someone else to be accountable to besides me. Now, Gretchen, what did you do for high school? We're very blessed here in the local community where I live. A group of us who um, were long-term homeschool families um, decided that we would utilize economies of scale and um, hire a tutor who was degreed in a discipline, and then we'd all get together in a central location and have that tutor teach. And what that has evolved to over the years is a high school tutorial that offers 24 different high school classes. Um, and we we meet once a year in a uh, uh, once a year. I'm sorry, once a week in a church location. 
mm-hmm. um, and the students participate in 90-minute seminar classes, and then they take a week's worth of material with them and study for the week. So that has been a tremendous blessing. That, and we have a fabulous community college that's right here in our community that has been very embracing to homeschoolers and allow them to get involved in uh, the college process young as well. Yes, that's what I ended up doing with mine. We, we used our community college that just loved homeschoolers. And my, my two oldest boys just had the most wonderful experience with small classes. And, I mean, they just, they just loved it. And they said, it's so great because we're getting both our credits at the same time, our high school and our college credits. And, exactly, you know, really, exactly. Yeah. My eldest graduated high school and finished her freshman year of college the same spring. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, that was great. She um, went on that succeeding year to actually buy a business um, obtain an SBA loan and open her own coffee shop, and um, uh, that was that was quite an adventure to to experience that with her. Uh, uh, what a way to grow up! I have to say, it was really quite something. Well, that's great. Now, Calvert parents use the term box day. Why don't you explain what that is? Because my children said, oh, come on, Mom, you know what Box Day is. I want to hear it. (laughs) I have to say there are some disadvantages to all the technology that's available now because now what happens is once you order your curriculum, you get a UPS number and you can track that box. It's a free geography lesson. You could track the box from where we are here in Maryland all the way across country to Texas or wherever it is going. But... Uh, Box Day in our family for years meant um, that we looked for the UPS man to show up with a box of curriculum. And I do remember um, those couple of years where I had four kids in Calvert. They used to stand out front every afternoon because they knew what time Mike, the UPS driver, came Mm -hmm. by. And they would look for him. As a matter of fact, God bless him, he's been our UPS driver for 20 years, and my 15-year-old, when she was really little, she thought he was the UFO driver. (laughs) Box Day was looking for the UFO driver to deliver the box of curriculum. (laughs) That is so funny. That is so funny. Well, Gretchen, I've had such a good time talking to you. Thank you so much for taking time from your busy life to talk to me. Well, Vivian, I have really enjoyed it. I'm glad that we finally have managed to connect up with each other, and I hope we have an opportunity to speak again sometime. So do I. So goodbye. Have a great weekend. And I Thank hope you, and you, you don't well. have any more snow. Bye-bye. My guest was Gretchen from the Calvert School. You can go to her blog site. It's blog.calvertschool.org. And you can get all the updates that you need about Calvert. And I'll be back after this break. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Another Way of Living with Susan Dobson is on Toginet, Wednesday evenings at 8, 7 Central. Hi, I'm Susan Dobson, host of the new talk show, Another Way of Living. On Another Way of Living, we talk about what I call the unspeakable. When I was growing up, if there was a problem, a pink elephant in the living room, everybody walked around it, nobody talked about it. Sound familiar? Tune in and listen to my guests and callers talk about their solutions to problems just like yours. If you are ready and really want Another Way of Living, then this is your show. 
Wednesday evenings at 8, 7 Central with Susan Dobson. On Another Way of Living, we talk about life, its problems, its challenges, and above all, its solutions. Another Way of Living educates and informs. It makes you laugh. It makes you cry. Plus, the live format lends itself to surprising and heartfelt revelations from Susan and her guests. You'll be surprised by what's shared, what's learned, and what could change. Join us for Another Way of Living with Susan Dobson. Wednesday evenings at 8, 7 Central on toginet.com. Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on Toginad with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not-So-Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. In the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website and thus NotSoSoccerMom.com. Tom was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing, chronicling her opinions on everything? The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Mom with Jill Hickey. Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet, part of the Her Insight Network. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, I'm back, and um, I'm going to be talking to Kathy at the end of this little segment, but before I do... It's time to go to my book. You remember two weeks ago, I was telling you about how I researched homeschooling and declared it zany enough for me to become caught up in the concept. And then I persuaded my sweet cowboy of a husband to jump on the chuck wagon with me. And under the official title of Herald, he broke the exciting news to my in-laws and his while I eavesdropped. With his charm and blue eyes, he totally won the parental units over and we were ready to open our newly created and duly christened Wildflower Academy. So here I am, back in the scalding summer spent with my four children, who are about to become unsuspecting guinea pigs in our quest for educational excellence. June turned into July when only mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun. The pool was no longer a cool 85 degrees. The nights were as hot as the days. The children bonded and the cicadas sang. Tepid and not in the least refreshing, we abandoned our home pool for the local public pools that had the benefit of shade trees. The five of us dragged, and that's me they're dragging, through the afternoons. Our household boasted an average age of 11, with an energy level surpassing a frisky greyhound puppy. I missed my nap times. Oh, unbidden, a new idea suddenly burst upon me. My thought pistons turned their attention to the school where my boys were enrolled. Theirs was a magnet school, I asked out loud. What exactly does that mean? I groaned, not because I caught myself talking to myself, but because I knew where I was going. The possibility of adding the boys into the equation became like a broken tooth, continually visited by the ever-inquisitive tongue. I just couldn't leave the idea alone, even when all four children were awake and successfully getting on my nerves undeniable signs for any ordinary person that it was high time to send them all back to school and leave me alone so that I could take naps and reward myself 
for being their active playmate all summer long. Alas, they do say that homeschoolers are not like ordinary people, and really, we're not. The words, the best school is at home, spoken by my mentor and shoe-wearing friend, kept echoing in my head. In a narrow-minded, one-track kind of way, I began to think that if I was going to take the plunge, I might as well have some students who could be taught stuff I may be interested in. So I began to ask the teachers at the magnet school questions about what the boys were learning at their wonderful, gifted and talented institution. I'd recalled on previous Meet the Teacher nights that the teachers appeared to criticise my children. I'd been told things like, your child can't read to the standard expected in the classroom, or your daughter can't colour within the lines, or she couldn't hold her scissors correctly, or my son didn't pay attention in class. Maybe he was bored, I thought. On my fact-finding mission at the boys' school, I was informed that when a child, mine or anyone else's, fidgeted in his chair or shouted in delight, hopped on one foot in excited anticipation of being sprung fully wound into the hall from the classroom, or spoke after the silence bell, even in a whisper, they had to go in time out because that was the rule. In a large institution, there have to be rules, but I felt the injustice for them. All children behave this way. They're hardwired to move around. Trying to hold them down is like trying to make a butterfly stop flitting from flower to flower or restrain a hummingbird from flapping its wings because they were making an irritating hum. So God and I decided that although the gifted and talented academy was probably doing a superlative job with my boys, I could possibly do a better one. We decided to add them into the guinea pig arena and at the end of the summer... I realised that we had a lot of work to do on our one-room schoolhouse. My oldest daughter was the reason I decided to enter this crazy world I now found myself in, and I will give her all the credit because she deserves it. Not the peer pressure or the praise for being a wonderful parent, not the suggestion that she'd benefit far more from being with me all day than being with surrogate caregivers, or the fact that I'd quit my job. No, what sealed the deal for me was when I began questioning the validity of gifted and talented schools and their eliminating tests. Crazy or not, we were ready to enter the last phase of our plan to develop our own special society, one that encouraged and affirmed our way of thinking and behaving. It was going to start right here in our home, our self-contained one-room schoolhouse oligarchy. Well, I see Kathy's here. Kathy, can you hear me? Hi there. I wish I'd have had your schoolhouse when I was at school. You know, oh, well, you how listen. much I hated school. Did you? I, I was you? born that way, Vivian. I you don't are? even think there was a, any particular reason. I just hated school. Well, I suppose, you know, it's not for everyone, is it? Well, it wasn't <laughs> for me. And, you know, I, I told you last week how we, we found the money and we moved into the pub and... <laughs> Everything changed then. You know, when you're living in a pub, it's not a normal life like other people. Well, no, so no. Now, now, was it now your pub? Did it open at lunch times as well? Yes, it would open at eleven thirty in the morning, and it uh-huh. would close at three. Uh-huh. And by the time I was fourteen, I used to run home from school because it was my job to open it again at five. At and five. I, I used to sit behind the bar and do my homework. Uh-huh. And it was just a very different environment, you know. Uh, I got to the point where I really didn't want to go back to school. Mm-hmm. I used to I used to go upstairs and my dad would come looking for me to make sure I'd gone to school and I'd be hiding in the wardrobe. And then 
one day he came, my mum used to be on my side about this because she knew I didn't like going there. And uh, one day he, I was hiding, in, I was inside the wardrobe holding the door closed and he came up and just opened the door. <laughs> and we just stood there looking at each other. And you know, from then on I knew I couldn't hide in the wardrobe. But I hated school enough that I used to go as little as I could bring the textbooks home with me and go study in the gorgeous, gorgeous Liverpool Picton Library mm-hmm. and basically did all my exams early. I would study in the Picton Library on my textbooks half the day and then mm-hmm. the other half of the day I'd read or I'd go read up about the pub and it was built in 1700 so I got to study all that history and I, it was better for me, Vivian, than going to a school. And so, and so it wasn't the work, it wasn't the fact that you were going to school and having to do schoolwork no. that you hated. It was the actual physical building. Actually, I liked the work. I was the mm-hmm. odd child who, who would do math quizzes for fun. You mm-hmm. know, I liked the work. Mm-hmm. I think I didn't like the school. The only thing I put my finger on is it was Catholic girls' school all the way through. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember when the nuns used to wear the full-length black habits. Mm -hmm. And they were very scary. (laughs) I mean, I I was kind of a shy child, and they Mm -hmm. were extremely strict. And I think that environment was just not for me. I think it was just the the strict environment. Was it it an old, old building as well, drafty? Oh, Vivian, it was so old. Well, you know what those schools were like in England. It was... It looked like you see those old pictures of Victorian workhouses, very old. And mm-hmm. the nuns would keep the windows open so that your mind was fresh. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you couldn't speak at all. If you coughed, they'd be like, bang, bang, on the blackboard and send you out. I mean, it was just horrendously strict. We had our indoor and outdoor shoes. And mm-hmm. if you were found indoors in your outdoor shoes, you'd have to go to the headmistress's office. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think... Basically, for me, it was much too strict an environment for a child like me. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do remember, though, that there was a school opened in Liverpool, and it was probably way ahead of its time. I begged to get sent there, but my dad wouldn't hear of it. But it, it let the children learn at their own pace, and it was much more relaxed. And I begged and begged to go to that school, but I, I got to go to the Pickton Library instead, and that wasn't bad, Vivian. So didn't you get caught up for truancy or anything like that? No, and you know, I've often thought about this. It's so different here where, I don't know if the times have changed or America's different or what, but the school I went to was run by the Holy Family Convent. It did not seem to be under any nuances of the government. There didn't seem to be any regulation like that. In fact, I'd have to say the teachers didn't give me any problem about not coming in as long as I passed my work. Mm-hmm. But just, uh, you know, here I know all the funding for the schools is based upon attendance. Um, well, I, I, know, I know I've looked up online uh, about the homeschooling rules in England, yeah. and the law in England is that every child has to be educated. It doesn't say that everybody, every child has to go to school. Yeah. And so that's how homeschoolers get around that. They, they, they say, well, we're educating our children. We don't have to do it at school. Whereas here in America, it's the law that children have to go to school. So that's, what the, that's where the difference is. Yeah. And I don't know if it was just different when I was at school, but it certainly it, it never seemed to be an issue in the school with the teachers. Mm-hmm. In fact, mm-hmm. the teachers were great with me. And they give me my books, and 
they give me some assignments ahead of time. I also lived much further than any of the girls in school mm-hmm. because when we moved into the pub, it was Liverpool, which is over the water on the other mm-hmm. side of the Mersey. And so I would take the, to go to school, I took the train each day, which ran under the River Mersey, which is quite a feat. I mean, it's fabulous construction. Or I would take the ferry across the Mersey. So it was quite a long way to school. And I don't know if that weighed in on their, you know, how they were, they never complained about it. And also well, and you were, you were like, taking the exams and everything, so you were keeping oh, up with your school. Oh, I took the exams and all that was fine. And, you know, yeah. the teachers had no problem with it. Well, that's good. That's as, as long as I did that. So I kind of did my own homeschooling, but it, it would have kind of been nice to be in your type of homeschooling, Vivian, but I guess it just didn't exist then, you know? No. Did you have friends, though? Did you still have friends from school? I did. I would see my friends at the weekends, but my life living in the pub was so completely different than everyone else's lives. Yeah. And yeah. certainly by the time I was 14, I worked in the pub a lot. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have a lot of free time. You know, I, I, mine was the five o'clock shift, so I would come home from school or come home from the library and open the doors of five, and this by the time you're 14, 15, yeah, yeah. and so I'd work the weekends too. So I'd see my friends, but I was very, yeah. very busy behind the bar. All right. Well, Kathy, we've got to go. It was nice to talk it's to you, been, Vivian. It's been great talking to you. Have a great weekend. You too. I'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well... I've used up another hour and I've had a lot of fun. I hope you have too. So I'm off to spend the weekend in the sun, I hope. It looks a bit cloudy today. But I'm also attending my second ever meeting of Daughters of the British Empire tomorrow. So next time I'll tell you how that went. I'll say farewell. Thanks to my husband who believes in love at first sight and our four children who are the result of that belief. Thank you, Stacey, for your network building vision and the staff at ToggyNet Radio. Thanks, Kathy from Liverpool and my guest, Gretchen from the Calvert School and Rosemary for doing a first read and edit of my book. May God bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you peace. I'll be off now. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vian McNenny on Toginet.